This reading is taken from 2 Timothy 1 to 8, followed by 13 and 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power love and self-discipline so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me his prisoner rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. When Paul was writing those words, he was actually in prison in Rome. He was in chains. He was wearing fetters like a criminal. It would have been dark and dank. And he had plenty of time to think. As far as he was concerned, death, as far as he knew, death was just round the corner. His apostolic days were over. How could the faith go on being proclaimed. So, he writes this second letter, letter to Timothy to give him that most solemn charge. Timothy is to preserve what he had received from Paul at whatever cost and hand it on to others who in their turn would teach others. Paul would have been lonely in that prison. He would have been bored. It would have been cold. He had met Timothy about 15 years earlier when he had gone to Timothy's hometown which is called Lystra 
and Timothy's parents were there. And over the next 15 years, Timothy had joined Paul in several of Paul's missionary journeys with all the adventures that they involved. And so Timothy was Paul's friend and his companion, one whom Paul had led to a deeper understanding of Christ, and they travelled the miles together. He was a fellow worker for Christ, Paul's brother and God's servant in Christ, in the gospel. And so as Paul lay in chains in that prison, his one thought was, who will now do battle for the gospel? It must be Timothy. Timothy was to guard the gospel, suffer for the gospel, continue the gospel, and proclaim the gospel. This older man was now commissioning the young Timothy. And I thought, where are our younger men and women of today who are being commissioned by the older generation to continue to proclaim the gospel? How did Timothy come to faith? We've just read, you have the faith of your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. Luke tells us that Timothy was the son of a a mixed marriage. His father was Greek, um, very likely not a believer at this time anyway. But it seems that both his mother and his grandmother had come to faith when Paul first visited Lystra. But even before that, from his childhood, and we read this in the epistle, Timothy had been acquainted acquainted with the sacred writings. In other words, he had known the Jewish scriptures. And as Paul proclaimed Christian truth, he saw it in his, his mother and grandmother, and he embraced it too. So Timothy's faith, had begun in his home. Where is the faith of our children coming from today? Who is telling them about Jesus? To be brought up in a Christian home with Christian teaching is the most precious thing you can give your children. And I find it's a thrill here to know some of you parents and a little bit of your children knowing that you are faithfully teaching them about Jesus. Something I never had. Something that most children don't have. How many homes are doing that today. And what about our schools? Well, we'll hear more about one school in just a little while. And as I thought about this, I thought, we are depriving our children, young people, adults of the map 
by which they can live and the guide who is there for them. That's a tragedy. And it's no wonder that mental illness and lawlessness abound. No map, no guide. And in her Christmas broadcast, the Queen also said this, Christmas is the traditional, if not the actual, birthday of a man who was destined to change the course of our history. Today we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago. This is the true millennium anniversary. The simple facts, she said, of Jesus' life give us little clue as to the influence he was to have on the world. As a boy, he learned his father's trade as a carpenter. He then became a preacher, recruiting 12 supporters to help him. But his ministry only lasted a few years. He himself never wrote anything down. In his early 30s, he was arrested, tortured and crucified with two criminals. His death might have been the end of the story. But then came the resurrection. And with it, the foundation of the Christian faith. She goes on. Even in our very material age, the impact of Christ's life is all around us. If you want to see an expression of Christian faith, you've only got to look at our awe-inspiring cathedrals and abbeys. Listen to their music. Or look at their stained glass windows, their books and their pictures. But the true measure of Christ's influence is not only in the lives of the saints, but also in the good works quietly done by millions of men and women day in and day out throughout the centuries. Many will have been inspired by Jesus' simple but powerful teaching, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, treat others as you would have them treat you. His great emphasis was to give spirituality a practical purpose. To many of us, she says, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. It's a simple message of compassion and yet as powerful as ever today, 2,000 years after Christ's birth. Let's pray that as a nation we will wake up and stop depriving our children of the greatest truths of all. The fact that the Queen's faith is being spoken about by so many at the moment. Please God, may it turn us back to the centrality of your truth. So, that's enough of me. It's now Tim. 
So Tim's going to come. He's going to tell us something about what it means to teach in a Church of England school, something about how he got called into education, and some of the current challenges. Thank you for welcoming me here this morning. Um, It's really lovely to be with you. We have a really good connection uh, with the church here and along with the church in Shamley Green, Christ Church as well. Um, I've been the head at Monash and Shamley Green for two years now um, and I've worked in other schools in Surrey, some Church of England schools, some non-faith schools um, and I just wanted to kind of give you a picture this morning of um, how we make our, our school uh, distinctly Christian. The Guildford Diocese, who support us really well, have a vision for for Church of England schools to make them distinctly Christian. Um, And it's quite hard to put your finger on exactly what that looks like and to explain the sense and the feeling that Church of England schools have that perhaps other non-faith schools don't have. but it's definitely tangible. It's definitely there. You can feel it. You can sense it. And at a school like ours, I think it really benefits our children. Church of England schools were, were set up for the community. And they were set up for all. And they were set up to be inclusive. And therefore, we welcome children of faith. We welcome children of no faith. We welcome children of other faiths. So the challenge for us is how do we present a Christian faith to many different families, many different children? Isabel and Ben I've brought with me this morning because uh, I couldn't do this on my own and I thought I'll grab some children because they're the ones that can tell you in a much better way than I can about how we go about doing that. Um, And they're going to come and talk to you in a moment about class worship that the children lead. We do a lot of child-led worship at school. We find that if we give the children ownership of the faith, ownership of how they're going to tell each other about the teachings in the Bible, then that makes it so much more powerful. Children will listen to one another sometimes much better than they will listen to us adults. And also when they have the opportunity to go and find out about something for themselves, they have a real ownership of that. And that's much more powerful. And children can come from that from very different routes and very different paths, which makes it so much more effective. So Isabel, Ben, would you like to come up? Class Worship at WSQ. At our school, we have a class worship where each Thursday we think about different Bible stories. A group of children go to open the book assembly to watch a performance about a Bible story to get ideas for when they present their class worship. The next week, they plan out how to present their story and to show it in their own way. We include these four parts to our class worship which help us. Some groups do drama, some read from the Bible, and some show videos to tell the story. Sometimes we ask the children to think about what this story is about and what it means to them. At the end we ask someone to say a prayer. We like class worship because it takes our mind off learning 
and we can focus on God. There we go. Well done, you two. Thank you very much. So they can get a little flavour of, of what the children do at our school in terms of bringing that worship to life and to each other. Um, and we also make sure the children lead acts of worship here at this church and over at Christ Church as well in Shanley Green. So this year our year twos and our year sixes will lead a, remembrance, lead a remembrance service down here. And they genuinely do lead that. They write it themselves. They think about which songs they want to sing. They think they write the prayers and say the prayers themselves. And it just brings that it more significance to them and to each other. So what's the impact of that then? What about the children who attend our school? What does that give them? Well, I believe it, it nourishes them. Um, it inspires them. And I think the children at our school and, and other church schools are more spiritual and are more reflective because of that. We can understand the Christian values together and with God at the centre, but we all come from it to it from very different paths and very different angles, but we can share those values together. And I think those values and aims have never been more important than, than today. I think our, our children, perhaps I mentioned about having examples around them, I think some of the examples that our children see at the moment may not be so good for them when they see people arguing, they see people having polarised views from one another and not being able to listen. I think we can instil a set of values in our children that will make them flourish and make them understand one another, be emotionally intelligent as well. And personal development is something that we really value at our school. Um, just as important as the educational attainment of our children. And we found actually that the pandemic has, has sometimes, for some children, that's really been tough in terms of their social and emotional development. You know, we found that we can catch up a little bit of maths. They've not quite got their fractions. We can catch that up. But if they've lost those developmental stages of their social and emotional development, that's much harder to catch up with. So we've had to work really hard at that. And I think some of the Christian values and Christian faith that our school has has really supported us to do that. So in summary, I think attending a Church of England school and, and leading a Church of England school um, gives us nourishment. It develops us into better individuals. And something that is distinct, but is for everybody. Um, and it's an absolute pre privilege to lead Monash and Shamley Green School. And it's an honour for me to see the difference that all of those things we've spoken about this morning actually make in our children. Thank you very much.